0: Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips.
1: Hello, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me on Psych Up Live. Today we are going to look at teen violence in America. What makes an 18-year-old stab a 17-year-old over a maybe ex-girlfriend. How do we explain 230 elementary and high school shootings since Columbine? And let's add in the shooting in Santa Clarita last week, which took the lives of three and wounded five. What do we understand about gangs, cyberbullying, and the ever-increasing suicide rate in our teens? Our guest expert today is Joseph Kolb. He'll be drawing upon his important new book, Teen Violence in America, How Do We Save Our Children? Joseph Kolb is the executive director for the Southwest Gang Information Center, an instructor in the criminal justice program at Western New Mexico University, specializing in crime and minorities, border security, American crime policy, and transnational criminal organizations, he has contributed criminal justice-related articles to the New York Times, the Journal for Homeland Security and Counterterrorism, Homeland Security Today, and Police One. It is worth knowing that Joseph also brings the wisdom of being a parent, a grandparent, an educator, and a law enforcement officer. Joseph Kolb, it is my privilege to welcome you to Psych Up Live.
2: Thank you for having me today, Suzanne.
1: Oh. Your book is so important and there are so many aspects of it that I want teachers, parents, people to read. One overall perspective that you seem to have is that many violent crimes committed by adolescents are preventable. Now, what makes that possible, Joseph? Well,
2: as you know, in the... Probably starting in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, um, you know, we had a a, a paradigm shift in parenting, it seems like. Uh, We had our first child in the mid-70s, and it was still, you know, kind of like doing it the old way. But, you know, the shift has been um, more individualism of the child, uh, which has resulted in less supervision, um, not only of parents, but of also educators, where we look at the individual individuality of the child, but we miss the big picture of the elements that go into constructive growth and development, such mm-hmm. as discipline, um, accountability, but most importantly, love, affection, and attention. Um, I'm a corrections officer here in New Mexico, and, you know, we have individuals in here for a variety of infractions from failure to appear for court appearance to multiple homicides. And, you know, it's kind of interesting in speaking with them to get this wide range of uh, opinions, if you will, as to, you know, why things had turned out in their lives the way that they did. And, you know, they don't come out and specifically say, you know, this or that or that. But you can really surmise that, you know, it was one of those various factors that I
1: Mm -hmm. previously discussed. Mm. Now, one of the factors that you talk about is just the social, you call it, you're drawing upon the social disorganization theory. And you make the comment that a young person in a situation of poverty where there's violence in a community they actually know right from wrong, but the situation's so difficult they often choose the negative behavior
2: well and it is, and it's oftentimes the the byproduct of those other factors in terms of lack of supervision and attention um, by parents. Now, this could be because of two reasons: one is that again, in that era of the late seventies early eighties where uh the socioeconomic dynamic of the country changed where one parent, if you're a middle class or lower middle class family, one parent's salary can't pay the bills anymore. So both parents had to go and work. So it made supervising kids extremely difficult. You know, they, they fall into this uh cycle where oftentimes if they don't have the supervision of a parent, it's, the you know, the, the path of least resistance and, you know, it, unless they have a strong um, moral compass, if you will, at a young age, which is, you know, we've all been there. It's oftentimes questionable that they often fall in with the, the predominant. Element in their community, which sometimes can be a criminal element, or and I I draw the distinction between delinquent and criminal, but typically we see that oftentimes delinquency runs into criminality.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the things that you mentioned, and I guess it would make sense that if, if for a number of circumstances parents can't be available or are not available, is that peer pressure becomes very, very powerful. Something else you mentioned that I think applies, I hadn't thought of it and I haven't heard people talk about it, something that applies to kids across the socioeconomic levels is boredom. How do you associate boredom with teen violence?
2: Well, you know, typically boredom breeds questionable behavior just for a level of excitement. I mean, you know, I grew up in suburban Long Island right outside of Manhattan where there's a million things to do, but all of my friends in the summertime would say, we're bored. You know, so it doesn't make any difference if you're in midtown Manhattan or a farm in Iowa. Kids are going to say that they're bored. And. Unless they've had the opportunity to, you know, self-express themselves through art, music, and sports, and things like that, oftentimes they look for risky behavior. And, you know, risky behavior could be harmless. It could be a nuisance. um, It could be an act of delinquency, like, uh, you know, spray painting a wall or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, breaking a street light or something like that. Or... (laughs) You know, now in this new generation, kids get empowered because they see that there's very little accountability for juvenile crime. So Hmm. they may go further, and this gets to where, when, I mean, I'm 61 years old, when we were bored, you know, you go, you know, maybe play a board game or watch, you know, one of only six TV stations at the time. Now you know, and I know we're going to be talking about it more in the conversation, kids resort to the video games where, you know, they'll sit and play video games forever. And, you know, their sense of reality gets grossly distorted.
1: Hmm. One of the things that, and we can go to video games, so I think it fits in with, one of the things that you say, and others in the field have pointed this out, is that we have a lot of young people across every grouping who are experts. They have great virtual world confidence, as you say in the book, but they have very little real world experience. And you actually can't become safe in the real world without real world experience. One of the things that Jean Twang talks about in her book on the eye generation is, she said she couldn't place it. Why do we have so much anxiety, depression, Why do kids feel unsafe? And she said, as soon as we really brought the iPhone in in 2007, we really locked kids into a sort of um, electronic world where they're not working in delis as kids had before, and they're not getting on the subway the way I'm from New York, too, that we did to work summer jobs and after school jobs, so... The outside world, Joe, becomes more and more terrifying. And let's add to that if you, and we know with the phones, you see everything and every crime and you're alerted to every horror story worldwide, but you don't have the capability to deal with it. That has to increase anxiety.
2: Oh, undoubtedly. And I mean, you know, this. Recent generation where we've seen a spike not only in um, active shooters but also uh, youth suicides is we've lost the ability to be or our kids have lost the ability to be resilient. Everything beyond the status quo becomes a major crisis that they don't know how to cope with. Um, We've turned our kids in. You know, everything has a syndrome. We, you know, it's become a victimized society of you know teenagers and even into the mid late 20 somethings you know where uh you know we I've had jobs where I've been yelled at by bosses you know you can't do that anymore you know and there's a syndrome for this there's an uh there's an issue for that so you know we've just become so um encapsulated in fear and anxiety that when It really happens. We don't know how to cope. I mean, you know, just look at and and I, I, I always attempt to be apolitical. But I mean, you know, now there's petting dogs at the Capitol during the impeachment hearings because people are getting anxious about this. And there's the safe rooms and the cry rooms. I mean, you know, my granddaughter's school. And uh daycare doesn't even have a cry room, but now they have those type of rooms in college so we're not we're not preparing the kids for the real world
1: mm.
0: and
2: you know what, the real world oftentimes isn't pretty
1: well now let's let's assume so we have some kids who are, f- are afraid to even confront another kid, and instead they will file a grievance against them, and the problem is that. They might have that ability to file a grievance, but they never really learn to say, you're going to have to stop following me, or I don't like the way you spoke to me. So there's very little practice of confrontation skills. We need more courses on dating. So the real life situations really are out of their reach. And maybe that's where as adults, professionals, parents, we have to start filling in those gaps in some way.
2: Well, I mean and that's where the, the, the iPhones and the social media or as I say unsocial media in the book comes in because you could you could be you can complain and you can pick on somebody uh and be anonymous. You know? Right. So there's there's no accountability with anonymity. And I, that... That has a gross impact on people because that 's as you say the only way that they can confront their problems and that 's not the that 's not a sound psychological way to do it either you know because then when it 's done against you, you know now you know it, it gets into the whole the bullying umbrella where you know I think that 's even gone too far quite honestly, and we can talk about that in a bit.
1: Well, let's I want us to go into that, but I want to ask you, because it's so prevalent and it just happened, what's your what do you think about school shootings? what are you having been in um, law enforcement and working now and teaching in the field, what's your take on school shootings and what are we not doing right with that, Joe? Well, I think it gets back
2: to the the inability of kids to be resilient. Um, we've turned them into these. Um, victims. We've turned them into victims because, you know, if somebody talks mean to you, you're being bullied. So we don't teach them that resiliency or that, you know, the ability, the ability to come back and say, well, you know, you have your opinion, you know, just leave me alone. Um, and then so we, we have a week of um, emotional fabric, if you will. And the other big problem is a lot of these kids are overly medicated and are not closely monitored. So with a lot of the antidepressants and hyperactivity medications that kids are put on, uh, this has been shown to have an impact on behavior too, especially when the regimen isn't followed consistently. Um, And oftentimes i i don 't want to say misdiagnosed but just kind of haphazardly diagnosed um, you know it 's if you have a uh, you need a total knee replacement you 're not going to go to a uh, gynecologist okay if you have an emotional problem, you know why are general practitioners prescribing these antidepressants mm-hmm. Well, then, one you know, of the problems, that,
1: yeah. Joe, with this, is, and just what you're saying, but as someone in the field, there's usually a non-compliance. The same teen who won't come out of his room, the same teen who won't speak to the parent, is most often the teen who won't even use the medication, who never went for the follow-up. So although someone might say this person had been prescribed, it's unfair to the many, many children who do very well with the proper use of medication, but it's like everything else in the life of some children where things start to shred. That is, and I think you mentioned at the beginning of the book, there's accumulation of very small things and then often there's a timeline and a, a, like a, a, a trigger. And that's the kid at that point who acts out. But it's um, it's so very difficult, you know, to pick up warning signs Although increasingly, I wondered, they've been asking teachers to keep their eyes on what children are writing, that often it appears in the work. Is that something that you have found in terms of um, police work or um, deterrence that actually is an important factor?
2: Oh, yeah, most definitely. But, you know, again, it has to be in the context. So, uh, you know, is it just innocent doodling? You know, where, you know, I used to, when I was in school, I used to draw battleships and airplanes, you know. Um, but now is if it's, you know, a, a kid draws a picture of a somebody gun. holding a gun to their head, yeah. that's mm. that's a telltale sign.
1: In okay, my not, corrections, we have to take a break. Hang on one sec, because I don't want people to miss what you're going to say. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to come right back. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Joseph Kulp. He's an executive director for the Southwest Gang Information Center and instructor in criminal justice. And he is the author of the important new book, Teen Violence in America, How Do We Save Our Children? Stay with us. We have much more. We'll be right back.
0: We all know that today our country is in many ways run by vested interests, which have accumulated large amounts of power for themselves and at our expense. But this can be changed by recognizing the problems and then by adopting libertarian solutions to address them. Tune into All Rise, The Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. Judge Gray and his guests will discuss the problem areas of today and then present solutions that result in a better world for ourselves and And our children. Tune in Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety.
2: Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel
1: our expert on teen violence, Joseph Kolb, and his new book is Teen Violence in America, How Do We Save Our Children? One of the things we mentioned was the power of social media. Joe describes it as not too social at times, and we know that for all the unbelievable information that our children can get from it, there's a downside to it. It keeps them home. It keeps them out of the, in their rooms. Perhaps one of the things we all know about and worry about is the bullying um, and the cyberbullying. As one young man said, you know, if it's online and it's about you or it's a picture of you, it's never, ever going away. So it's tragic how desperate children feel when they've been cyberbullied. And from what you say... You know, at least 87% have witnessed bullying, 72% have been cyberbullied, and I wonder if we could talk to parents about your suggestions for anti-bullying strategies and helping their children with this cyberbullying issue in particular, Joe. Sure. Well, I, I think the,
2: the first and most important thing is that parents have to constantly um, support and um, I'm at a loss for words right now, build their kid up. They, they have to um, encourage self-worth in their child. Um, and if there's, you know, the kids who are most prone are the ones that don't have a strong foundation of personal self-worth to begin with. Um, you know, so if a kid has a, a good strong sense of self-worth from their parents or people around them, you know that's a very important start because that that adds to contributing to resiliency. Then, um, where yes, anytime anybody says anything bad about you or to you, you know, normal human reaction is you're going to be hurt. But you know, to put it into the context where you uh, you'll you'll be hurt, you find what a potential solution could be. Um, you know, you, that puts you on the right path, talking to a counselor, talking to your parents, talking to friends that would support you. Um, but, you know, again, the social media has has isolated, as broad-based as social media is, where you can reach billions of people, the individual who uses it is still extremely isolated because mm. they're still using it by themselves. So if, if you're enduring a constant bombardment from multiple kids, Um, it it, it is a grueling um, experience.
1: Yes. Well, one of the things that you mentioned is, well, there are a few things. One of them is extracurricular activities. And I would support you in saying any kid, no matter what that activity is, from Habitat to Humanity to the Glee Club to running track, the very fact that you're with outside kids for whom you're part of a team or some activity with them is somewhat of a buffer to the online night online nightmare if the only oh, absolutely. You- and, and
2: and it's also going to give you a sense of self worth also where mm-hmm. you know uh, and, and I bring it up in the book I look at a lot of the kids on for instance the TV show America's got talent mm-hmm. and most of the young kids that perform on that show say that they endure bullying at school because they're different mm-hmm. um, so you know here they have this platform to constructively express themselves while at the same time getting you know reaffirmment as to their self worth mm-hmm. um you know, and it's uh, it, it, it's a valuable asset not to to wallow, you know, because we all wallow in our self pity um, at one point or another. But you know, these kids they feel like they're so alone because they have that Dawn device in their hand, and they think that's their best friend. You know, mm-hmm. we it, it's not. We 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 need to teach our kids human interaction again.
1: You know, um, I think that that's so valuable. One of the things that happened, I remember here in the school, this is Long Island also, in in a school district. So a kid, somehow, some other kid got to be able to send emails in his name that were harassing of girls. This is the last thing that this one kid would have had, would have done. So it was really kind of maligning his name. And the mother went to the school and the school tried, and she went to um, try to see who she could go to to try to get this to stop. And eventually, I, I actually think um, there was a special cyberbullying um, aspect of of the police department um, that helped her. But one of the things you take suggest then I had never heard before is, well, one, one thing that I had heard is when your child starts getting hate emails, start Printing them out, because as a parent, that's what you can bring to the other parent to confront them with, A. And the other thing you suggest is take out a lawsuit. You mean against the kid who's bullying or impersonating or cyberbullying your kid?
2: Yeah, I mean, taking out a lawsuit against a kid isn't going to go anywhere.
1: I mean, against the parent.
2: But the parent's... I haven't been able to keep up with the results of a lot of the. I mean, actually, it's not a lot. I should back up. There's not a lot of lawsuits, but of the ones, um, I, I, it, it puts them on notice. Mm-hmm. The other parents, and it's also public record. You know, so, you know, nobody likes to sit, be accused of being a bad parent. You know, and if you look at suburban Long Island, you know, or other suburban areas, especially you know, there's a a particular impression people want to have of you, and that's not a good impression. So I think that could be an extremely powerful tool. Um, You know, the other thing I would suggest, too, is, you know, fight fire with fire, and parents of bullied kids is set up their own website and say, this is what kids experience. You know, you can keep it anonymous. You don't have to have your kid's name, but, you know, this is what's going on at School school A or School B, this is what's going on as well. But mm-hmm. you need to include the authorities, um, you know, and obviously letting the schools know is important, but that could also be a, a dead end. I hate to admit it because a lot of schools don't want to have to deal with this mm-hmm. because of the, potential, of the potential liability.
1: But there's more, it seems to me, there's more liability if parents do make it clear that their child is getting emotionally really upset by it. When we think of the number of suicides connected with cyberbullying, it seems to me that I, I'm going to agree that it's worth the try to contact anyone. Now, very often your own child is screaming, no, everyone's going to know about it. But in some way... I think the closer you stay with your kid, the more you can say, well, then let's figure out a way to make this a safer place for you. And let's let's find a resource somewhere. And, yeah, sometimes and I would agree you, with that. Hmm, sometimes there is some, there is a local um, policeman or there's a local authority who will at least make the youngster and the family feel we're going to look into this in some way. We have to respond to it. This brings up the topic that's all over the news, and you have direct experience with it, and that is, how would I know if my youngster's in a gang? Well, We have it here on Long Island, you're in New Mexico. Um, I, I loved one of the things you said. When you think of how many gang members are unaccompanied minors, you, you have this quote in the book, even gang members imagine a future that doesn't include gangs. Now, what can you tell us, what would you tell parents about being aware of gangs and what you can help your child be aware of? Sure. Well,
2: you know, there's thousands of gangs in the country, thousands. And whether you're on suburban Long Island, and unfortunately uh, Long Island has uh, suffered significantly at the hands of MS-13, for instance, mm-hmm. and, you know, other Other communities as well. Um, Here in New Mexico, it's a beautiful state. I love living here. But we're one of the most gang-infested per capita states in the country. So there's a lot of reasons. And one of the main reasons is, you know, a sense of belonging. You know, if you have a single parent or both parents, they're working, they're not around, the kid is going to look for some sense of surrogacy. And they often turn to the gang. Um, you know, we talk about extracurricular activities. This obviously wouldn't be one of those extracurricular activities <laughs> right. you'd want your kid in. But mm-hmm. some of them do turn to the gang. You know, there's a sense of pride that they may not be getting otherwise. There's a, you know, a sense of belonging. There's a whole bunch of reasons why the kids turn to gangs. And how parents would know their kid is a gang is that oftentimes it starts with something as sublime as just doodling either the gang name or whatever we call them, tags, you know, the insignia of the gang, may be on their school books. And, you know, this is something that we advocate extensively with the training that we do, is teachers need to be aware of these. School custodians, who oftentimes are the first ones to see gang tags in bathrooms, need to be aware of these things. So these are the sublime signs that parents need to be aware of. Um, be involved. Know who your kids' friends are. You know, you know that was one of the running rules in our house. Our kids, you know, we let them, you know, we, we kept them on a leash, but, you know, we gave them more and more as the trust grew. And one of the foundations was is that nobody went out unless we met the friends they were going out with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you need to see who your kid is involved with. And, you know, then it's a matter of looking at, is their matter of dress changed? You know, are they always wearing the same colored clothes or the same colored accessories, which oftentimes indicates gang involvement? Um, Do they have all of a sudden, I don't want to say a windfall, but more cash available than they normally would? That's another big telltale sign. So So
1: what would you uh, do, Joseph? Let's suppose you you saw these signs. Now, we know just as a sidebar, for some of the the many, many unaccompanied minors, sometimes this is a form of protection. This is someone who will give them money. This is the tribe that they're going to, unfortunately, gravitate to. And sometimes they're intimidated into becoming a gang member. What would you do in that situation, Joseph, if you had a feeling your child might be Somehow involved in a gang.
2: Well, is is being open to the fact, first off, that they can potentially be in a gang. Um, All too often, school districts, communities, even I've even seen police departments deny the fact that they had gangs in their community. And taking it down to the micro level of a parent, they don't want to think of their kid being in a gang. Um, So what they need to do is watch out for these warning signs of, you know, who their their kid is hanging out with, any uh, unexplained increase in in cash that they have on hand, wearing the same colored clothes or the same colored accessories, Um, and also the indicative doodling that may indicate a gang. This is where the parents have to... Separate from being a friend and actually be a parent and crack down on, on what's going on. Um, you know, they, they need to prohibit that type of behavior with their kid. And it's going to be a raucous proposition because, you know, most teenagers are rebellious anyway. And now, you you know, and we all know what it was like when our parents told us when we were teenagers, no, you can't do this. You know, well, they're my friends. How come I can't hang out with them? and then you have to explain what the implications are. Now, most teenagers, they don't look beyond the next day. Um, so that's that's a daunting process. If you have, you know, perhaps, well, this is where the, the Internet could be a positive result, is is pull up some recent incidents of gang violence and say, I don't... So it needs to be a positive experience, not just retribution. You know, you're not going to say, oh, I'm going to ground you or I'm going to take this or that away. I mean, ultimately, you may need to because it's part of that developmental accountability process where, you know, you know, what would you rather do? Be grounded in the house for, you know, a month or would you rather go to jail or prison mm-hmm. or,
1: mm-hmm.
2: worse comes to worst, the cemetery? These are Sometimes
1: the it's interesting. In I one case, it was on a, daily a, a youngster. There was a youngster who was an um, immigrant, and the gang was waiting for him. He came from Honduras, and a pro bono law firm literally helped him relocate to another high school. So sometimes in the most serious of cases, um, you have to give maybe the youngster something else to do, whether it's a job somewhere else, but it, in all in all counts, I think, Joseph, one of the things you're saying, the parents have to be very active about making options for a kid who might be starting to really head in the direction of the gang. Now, you said you wanted to mention something about unaccompanied minors.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we hear so much about this in the media, and unfortunately, most of it is incorrect. Um, I've been to El Salvador. I've been with the Salvador National Police, and I've spoken with people who were directly impacted with that crisis down there, and it is a crisis, So we're getting thousands and thousands of these children coming up here. And the first thing that we're ignoring the fact when we place them in communities from Long Island to the state of Washington is the underlying PTSD that most of these kids are experiencing. They come from one extremely violent environment to the uncertainty of going through violence in Mexico to being placed in a totally foreign um, environment, so then they get here, and they find out that that they 're not necessarily on safe ground because now a lot of these kids who are undergoing or experiencing PTSD they're they're placed in schools where there 's the language and the isolation that goes along with it, and the the teachers just see the behavior. So that doesn't contribute to the situation. Right. And then the other, right. main, and the other main thing is that when these kids show up in communities, when they're placed by the Office of Refugee Resettlement, they're often confronted by MS-13 members who have been right. here for a while.
1: Right. And so they're so we confronted we with a... the
2: reality that if you don't join us, we're going to kill you. And we yes. know where you're from in El Salvador, and we'll kill your family.
1: It's a horrendous situation. Joseph, we have to stop for a minute to take a break, but I want to come right, we're going to come right back, and I'm so glad you're letting people know just how, you know, the bind that these young children are in. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're talking about violence and teens and we're talking about it from the perspective of your child in a local school um, having a cyber bullying situation or a kid in a situation who's an unaccompanied minor and ends up being threatened by a gang stay with us we'll be right back
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas.
1: A Braveheart is anyone with the courage
0: to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired create your own story to share and change your life for the better listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too listen for Bravehearts Radio Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere
1: accidents, injuries, hazards of all kinds it seems like everything you do has something dangerous attached to it Everyday safety is important to us all. Yet where can you get the information you need to prevent injuries and accidents? Tune in for Todd Murray and his program, Safety is Your First Choice. From safety in the home to the car in your workplace, as well as anywhere that you need to be prepared. He'll cover a range of topics. Tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time,
0: 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at one 866 472 That's one 472 5788 You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're
1: speaking with... Um, Joseph Kolob, he's the executive director for the Southwest Gang Information Center. He knows a great deal about teens' violence, and his book is Teen Violence in America, How Do We Save Our Children? So I wanted to ask you about resilience and strategies. And one of the things that came up in focus groups with teenage girls in Mary Pfeiffer's work was that The thing they were most frightened about, Joseph, was school shootings. They were even afraid that if they went to large colleges and they were in large lecture halls, there could be a shooter. So as someone who's worked in this field, one of the things you talk about in the book is the need for us to rethink through some of the school safety systems (laughs) and the logistics with respect to helping our kids and our school districts be safer. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. We
2: we need to teach our kids the new world that we're living in. Um, You know, I don't even want to say just post 9-11, where the Department of Homeland Security has advocated, see something, say something. This new generation came into being the day of Columbine, where, you know, who would ever think that when you kiss your kid goodbye in the morning, that that would be the last kiss? We've seen this multiple, multiple times so the the specter is there and is it going to happen again absolutely it just happened again last week so this is a problem in our country that's never going to go away um, let me back up it's not going to go away anytime soon so what we need to do is minimize the damage and first and foremost it has to come down to situational awareness you know we 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 talk about that in law enforcement quite a bit so i know that We've developed this overly sensitive um, generation of kids, but we also have to teach them the reality that we—they're living—we're we're all living in peril now. And that's not to be paranoid or anything, but the potential is there. My daughter's best friend was at the Las Vegas concert shooting, and mm-hmm. ironically, she's from El Paso and doesn't live far away from that Walmart. So, you know. Am I in school? Am I at a concert? As you said, you know, it could happen. So what we need to teach the kids is that what the situational awareness is, meaning if something happens, what what am I going to do? Where, where and how am I going to escape? Um, I, I always taught my kids, keep your head on a swivel. And, you know, this gets to the... Cooper color code, where you know you have the the white level, where you're totally oblivious to your surroundings, and that's where we get into the kids walking around with the iPhones. And right. Volkswagen has a very, very compelling commercial now, which shows a kid walking down the sidewalk on his his, his phone. And if it wasn't for the security system in the car, he would get run over as it gets backed out of the driveway. Mm. That's the typical American kid. They have no idea what to do or where to go in case of a, an active shooter. I know we're doing more and more drills, but oftentimes they're not taken seriously. Um, you know, I mean, I remember growing up in Queens in the 60s, we used to have to do, you know, a t- a nuclear attack drills you know, where you would hide underneath the desks. And now that I'm older realize that well if that ever happened, hiding under a desk wasn't going to do anything. But it's the same thing nowadays with active shooter. You don't the kids don't take these seriously. And, you know, we pay lip service to it, but we need to teach the kids that element is first off, be be aware of your surroundings. Secondly, we have to teach the kids self defense. What am I going to do? if somebody's in here. The, the the paradigm is run, hide, and fight. A lot of times you don't have a place to run. A lot of times you don't have a place to hide. How are our kids going to be able to battle off a potential attacker, whether it's a shooter or, as we've seen so many times, somebody just stabbing people willy-nilly mm. on a sidewalk? What are you going to do? So we need to really get into these self-defense modes, and it's not too unlike how life is in Israel, has been in Israel since, you know, the late 40s, -hmm. you know, is you kind of have to expect something to go wrong, and if it doesn't, it was a good day, you know, um, as ominous as that sounds, that's the Mm -hmm. reality of life today.
1: I like what you said in the book when you said schools have to actually practice where and how they would leave the building. Would they get out out through the window? Would they pick up a fire extinguisher and block a door? Like at the risk, there's a fine line between re-traumatizing and actually realistically practicing so you start to feel secure about steps to take. That's what I felt like you were really often talking about in the examples that you gave
2: well and that's that fine line where we have yeah. to look at is what's worse a kid being traumatized or a kid being dead mm. you know it, it's 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 a hard fine line and especially in the litigious society that we live in i use that example of the teacher you know where a very proactive police department pretty much did a extremely live uh Drilled play.
1: Drilled. Yeah.
2: And she and she had what she felt an adverse reaction. and She school, sued the school district. Well,
1: wow. you know, that doesn't that doesn't solve any purpose. You know, um, we did I, have, I really admire. Go ahead. In this recent shooting, Joseph, I was impressed and I thought of your book. One of the in the um, Santa Clarita Ca, um, uh, shooting, the teachers had been taught wound care. And in yep. fact, one of the teachers was able to handle one of the wounded children because she knew wound care. And when they asked her, does yep. this make you too frightened to come back? She said, absolutely not. So, you know, there's, there's frightening information and then there's actually coming up with different strategies. And I also liked when you said if there was a way for any teacher to press a button and a door to lock instantly... That would, I think, make children feel safer also.
2: Yeah. Um, but going back to the wound care, I think mm-hmm. that's so important because um, gunshot wound, knife wounds are not pretty. They're not the type of wounds you see in your basic first aid class. Mm-hmm. And the care for them are, are totally different. And, you know, th- and I put this in the book, how to properly put a tourniquet on, mm-hmm. how to um, And as cruel as it sounds, if a kid gets shot in the chest, you can't put a a Band-Aid on that. What can you do to save that kid's life? Mm -hmm. So I talk about, you know, something as simple as putting something plastic over it to seal the chest. You know, Mm -hmm. this is the world that we live in. And if we choose to ignore this because of our sensitivities, we're not going to do our our young people any justice. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you were to give parents some guidelines going forward, or let's start with, um, with the, the with in terms of the school districts, is there something you would generally say if a superintendent said to you, Joe, okay, so what's an important step that we take?
2: One is the reality that this could happen any day, you know, and, you know, teach the kids about keeping your head on a swivel. Um... And, like, for instance, in the military, people are cross-trained to do the job of the person above them and below them. Because if one of those people go down, that soldier's going to need to know what to do. So, say, for mm-hmm. instance, a teacher is the first one shot in the classroom. The kids, you know, will they know how to properly lock the doors and secure the classroom? You know, mm-hmm. so we need to really enable and treat our kids like adults because active shooting doesn't get any more real than, you know, anything. And it's not a video game with his do overs.
1: I do think I'm going agree I'm in agreement with you that children want to be empowered. And I think that if, if it was really presented in a very serious way, that's something that really could help them to, to go back yeah. overall to, to your book in general, um, what are the kinds of things that you would recommend for parents? You talk about pillars of coping and self-resilience. What would you say to our parents who are listening as to how to help teens and prevent teen violence?
2: First thing, as I said before, love and hug your kids. Um, our kids don't get enough of that. And, you know, I think just a simple things is a Making sure you give your kid a kiss goodbye. It doesn't make any difference how old they are, because unfortunately that could be the last kiss goodbye. Um, Teach them, you know, being dependable, responsible young adults. Don't enable them. Don't turn them into victims. I mean, there's a difference between victimization and compassion and understanding, okay, where, you know... You're, you're teaching them that what happened maybe, you know, was a bad situation, but how are we going to overcome this and move forward?
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: and one, one of the things that we've lost is that ability, you know, so, you know, we, we came from generations where, you know, if you got in trouble at school, you know, you weren't going to go home and tell your parents. You know, now it's you get in trouble in school, you go home and tell your parents, and then they go up and complain to the school or they get a lawyer, and (laughs) that doesn't make the kid any stronger. That makes them weaker because they're not coping with the problem. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Um, One of the things that I think that you also mentioned that I want to just share is the importance of the environment. It's the broken windows theory. I love when you talk about if you let the environment fall apart around the children, it just adds to the sense of hopelessness, and that erodes moral fiber and resilience.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, Mayor Giuliani and uh, Commissioner Bill Bratton had used that successfully in New York City in the early 90s, but on a more micro level, we don't look at the broken windows theories in our own house you know mm-hmm. where and and it's not only a literal broken window but it's also figurative where you know if and and poverty's not an excuse okay um, i know dozens of people who are would be classified as uh, um, considered on a poverty level, but they have pride, they have dignity, their kids are clean, they're well-dressed, and so their house is clean. But, you know, if you, and it doesn't even have to do with economics, if you just let your house go to, go to waste, or your, you know, let your kids come and go whenever they want, um, don't spend time with your kids, that's a micro level of the broken windows theory.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really and well they'll said.
2: And exploit that. And a kid will exploit that.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, on, the, on that note, we're almost going to have to stop. Uh, uh, one part of the book that I would encourage people to get the book and read the book is about the different types of video games. And one of the things we always say, if you're the parent sitting next to that, that kid... You're going to know just what they're playing. And it's great that you would take an interest in them. But some of them are really very, very difficult. So rather than banning them, know them before you ban them. But uh, that's a very important part of the book that you do talk about. So, Joseph, if people wanted to get your book, where could they access things that you've written and or this particular book, Teen Violence in America? Of
2: course, be purchased purchased on Amazon.com. I know Barnes and Nobles is carrying it, as well as um, many small community bookstores.
1: Okay. Um, You have done so much work uh, with gangs, with young people, your training. I want to thank you for coming on Psych Up Live and for sharing and drawing upon your experience Because I think we're all a little bit at a loss um, in terms of what our children are exposed to and the need for them to really move out of boredom into a sense of efficacy and ability to make their lives better so that they don't step into harm's way. So I really thank you for coming on and for the work you do.
2: Thank you very much, Suzanne.
1: Okay. I want to thank my listeners. Now, remember, you can hear this in any prior show as a podcast on my host site. This will be a podcast within about an hour. That's about um, 7 o'clock Eastern. Uh, It can be heard on the podcast app of your iPhone, on iTunes, under Voice America. It can be heard on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon Alexa, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly until next week, please take care, thanks, and be listening.